Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy Vet Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com, the military news and veteran lifestyle website. As we honor our nation's military veterans this weekend, we're going to take a look at a fitness trend in the veteran community that's growing like wildfire. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu is a martial art and combat sport based on grappling, ground fighting, and submission holds. And it approaches self-defense by emphasizing taking an opponent to the ground and using a number of techniques to force them into submission via joint locks and choke holds. And we'll hear about a unique Veterans Day event the Battle of the Branches, where vets and service members from each branch will battle on the mats to determine which branch has the most elite fighters. Our guest is an Air Force veteran who served in a Joint Special Operations Intelligence Task Force, where he was part of some of the global war on terrorism's most important missions. But it was while deployed in Afghanistan he discovered jiu-jitsu, fell in love with it, and eventually would found The Compound a mixed martial arts training facility in Maryland, and the venue for the Battle of the Branches. So here to weave together the story of a love of country and the love of jiu-jitsu is Air Force veteran Pau Srikachorn. And what'd you say, Srikachorn? It's Irish? No. It's- yeah, it's, it's, it's Irish. It comes from the, uh, the southeastern section of Ireland. Um, <laughs> almost close to Chinatown. No, um, I'm actually, I'm half Thai and half Filipino. So the name is, it is a Thai name. Very cool. Yes, sir. Pow's journey into an elite special operations task force began like many veterans with 9-11. Um, it was the last thing I wanted to do. I was a post 9-11 baby and my mom being the, you know, Filipino immigrant that she was when they came here in the late seventies, early eighties, um, they really got into this whole Top Gun thing. So my mom had really pushed me to join the Navy and be, you know, this fighter pilot. Um, me being like the kind of hard kid that I was growing up in PG County, Maryland. Um, I, I remember telling her the only way I'd serve my country is if I worked at a fast food restaurant. She thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. Um, you know, I, I kind of lived that hood life, if you will, um, growing up in Temple Hills. But um, after 9-11, I, I I found that calling, right? I, I felt that patriotism and, and a reason to actually serve. Tried to join the fire department. That didn't work out. So I joined the Air Force um, in 2003. So um, 
<laughs> I initially wanted to come in as a firefighter. They told me no. I said, well, what else you got? They said, uh, oh, there's this thing called intelligence. Um, you know, and they said civilian careers, you could be a spy. I said, ah, oh, that sounds awesome. Like, let me, let me do that. And, um, they told me that these blocks of instruction were all specialty weapons training and things like that. And it had nothing to do with weapons. It had everything to do with public speaking and briefing. And, uh, my recruiter, of course, like everybody else, um, had no idea what he was talking about when he told me what my job was going to be. So ultimately the AFSC or the Air Force specialty code that I picked was a one November zero X one operations intelligence. So yeah, so when I was in boot camp, the Iraq war actually started um, getting some chow. I saw the newspaper clipping and said, you know, the U.S. is at war with Iraq. I said, all right, well, I guess it's real. Um, we're going to do this. How started his career as a military intelligence analyst with the aircraft known as AWACS. Basically, just think of it as a big air traffic control in the sky. Um, that's ultimately what it was. So, you know, all the aircraft that are flying in a given airspace, AWACS is in charge of deconflicting airspace, um, ensuring that if there are any hostile aircraft that are entering our operating zones, that they're identified and that all that target information is passed to the right people. Working to ensure all branches could effectively communicate while conducting combat ops led him to being selected for an elite Joint Special Operations Task Force, and he would eventually find himself working on some of the most renowned military missions in the history of the war in Iraq. I was really fortunate to be a part of some of them. You know, candidly, I was not the guy on the ground, um, you know, pulling triggers or pulling somebody out of a house or, or, you know, getting them out of handcuffs. But, you know, certainly part of this greater task force, if you will, um, to be able to help find, fix, and locate the people. You know, I was very fortunate to be a part of the Captain Phillips Mersk, Alabama um, hostage rescue that was made famous by Tom Hanks. Um, and then uh, Jessica Buchanan, which, who was uh, kidnapped by Somali pirates out in, I believe it was Galkayo, Somalia. Um, she was held captive for a while. And yeah. that is, you were on the back end of the team that was crunching the data, getting coordinates, getting intel from the ground and the region. And then, and then we just know it as the shot from the back of a destroyer was like a several thousand yards away and clipped the Somali pirate as he was like peeking up off the boat or. Yeah. You know, for the Captain Phillips one, um, obviously a spectacular shot when you have boats that are pitching and yawn up and down and, you know, these three or four foot sea swells to, to hit a shot like that and, and, and successfully rescue. Obviously Captain Phillips was, was a pretty, pretty amazing thing, but man, I'll, I'll tell you, the men and women that are there and they have the responsibility of if I don't get this right and I put a team of SEALs or Rangers or, you know, operators at the wrong location, man, I'd say that pressure is huge. And, um, you know, the, the men and women of the intelligence community, they, they do a hell of a job when it comes to being accurate to keep our, our operators safe. Yeah. And there's another note from your past that I wrote that is probably one of the most spectacular intelligence missions. And that was Operation Neptune Spear, which most yes. people know is the takedown of Osama bin Laden. You had some sort of involvement there. Tell me a little bit about Operation Neptune Spear. I can tell you that I was uh, I was brought in on the back end of it. You know, you get a very obscure phone call. It was, hey, I, I need you to get me from point A to point B. And I said, all right, well, this is never this doesn't happen unless something very serious is going on. They said they needed to get the aircraft from that location to the other. Um, I said, hey, look, that's, that's in Pakistan. Um, it's a sovereign country. They said, yeah, yeah, sure. 
you know, still, we need to get in there and, and you need to tell us how to do it without them knowing. So we worked through some stuff, um, worked through it for about a week or so, identified, you know, the what's called the IADS or the Integrated Air Defense System, um, tried to figure out how Pakistan could or might um, detect our aircraft. I just knew that for whatever reason, Pakistan couldn't know that we were doing it. A little bit closer to the actual mission execution date, um, I still didn't know that we were going to do that mission. I thought, because um, at the time, Bo Bergdahl was still a hostage by the Taliban, I thought we were going to maybe rescue Bo Bergdahl. It wasn't even a thought in my mind that it might have been, you know, HVI number one. Then it got a little bit closer to execution time, and they said, all right, here. <laughs> I said, hey, it's, I think it's Abbottabad. Abbottabad is where you're trying to go. And they said, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, okay, cool. So we worked it. You know, I ran my analyses. I, I tried to figure out how we could get around the radars that was going to find us. All the, addition, the different visual observation posts that might have heard us or seen us uh, made a recommendation. They said, okay, I think we're going to go with this. Needless to say, execution night, they said, hey, we want you to monitor all the real-time threat warning tonight for Pakistan. I was like, sure, I got it. So I was monitoring all the things that was happening from this basically window up until we tell you to stop. The mission was happening, still didn't realize the mission was happening until, you know, my indications and my sources said, hey, look, a Pakistani AWACS just launched. So I had to make a call. You know, they said, all right, well, what do we do? I said, proceed with mission. I didn't think anything was going to happen. Um, F-16s, I want to say, ended up launching as well. Um, I didn't think they were going to do anything. So I told them, proceed with mission. Um, we ended up back what was called feet dry in Afghanistan, obviously, when the mission was over. And then I had all these people running up to me and they said, hey, did you hear? Did you hear? I said, did I hear what? I still didn't know. And they said, we just got HVI number one. And I'm like, oh, Bergdahl's an HVI? And uh, <laughs> they're like, no, no. Like, we got the HVI. We, we just got bin Laden. And I was like, no way. I'll believe it when I hear it. Everybody's like, hey, man, NSA is going crazy. We did it. We did it. We did it. Then, obviously, we got confirmation. The president confirmed it, had a big press conference. They, we, they showed it on the jock floor. And then um, something happened, and the body, you know, bin Laden's remains went from J-Bed to Bagram Air Base, where we were at the time. They said, hey, pal, hey, uh, you want to see him? Like, hell yeah, I want to see him. Like, of course, I want to see it's the, it's the reason why I joined the military was, you know, post 9-11. So I uh, got to see his body, um, got to see, you know, just from basically it was zipped down to right around his chest area. But, you know, it, it, he looked weird, man. It, rats, nasty, grayish beard, a little bit of black in there. I had a big old shot grouping right here above his left eye. And uh, I just remember thinking, wow, this is it. We actually did it. Let's go ahead and take a look now. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and there's a lot of, lot of veteran brothers and sisters out there that are having some great experiences with jiu-jitsu. How did you come about discovering this? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So oddly enough, my first time ever doing jiu-jitsu was in Afghanistan, 2008. It was my third tour, and I saw a guy. Um, he was working the bag. He had these MMA gloves on, and he was doing all kinds of crazy drills. I said, hey, man, I said, you know, you do you teach MMA? And uh, he goes, yeah, I, I can teach. I said, you teach me some jujitsu. He goes, yeah, I'm a blue belt in jujitsu, you know, which is one step up from white belt. And uh, he goes, yeah, he goes, um, 
you know, would you like to learn? I said, sure. And uh, the guy was like 145 pounds. I might've been, you know, 203, 205 at the time. And uh, man, that guy arm barred me like five times um, right there on the mat at um, Camp Alpha in Bagram, Bagram Air Base, Afghanistan. So uh, I said, all right, man, you got to teach me this. You got you to show me what's going on. So for the next three months, I'd say three or four months, uh, we ended up getting a group of like 10 people. And man, we just, we did jujitsu every night um, when we weren't on mission, you know, uh, just in the gym, just trying to figure out how to choke people and, and armbar people. So that was like my first exposure to it. It's been a wild ride since, you know, obviously I was a, a huge UFC fan, like from Hoist Gracie back in like the early nineties, but um, I didn't know anything about it. You know, I grew up in Temple Hills, Maryland. It was just boxing for us. And um, man, when I saw this small guy like Hoist Gracie in these white pajamas beating all these big guys, I was like, dude, that looks cool. And just so happens that it worked out in 2008, you know, I, I would say that, you know, jujitsu, has almost caught fire in the military community for a lot of different reasons. Um, on one side, you know, if you think of it logistically, there aren't as many range days as you would probably want to, you know, to take. So it's not like you can go out and just shoot your M9 or your M4 every day. But you can take the extra time to learn something else combat related. In jiu-jitsu, it's not high impact in the sense that, you know, you're getting punched in the face or kicked in the ribs all day, like you wouldn't say Muay Thai or, you know, kickboxing. Um, but it's something where you can just, you know, over the course of a five, six, eight minute round, whatever, um, you can tap people or submit people, get submitted and just keep going over and over and over again and uh, learn some really cool stuff. It's, it's, it's been, it's been a really huge benefit to my life. I interviewed one of the Gracie brothers, um, author of the book, Breathe. Uh, Hicks and Gracie? Hicks and Gracie. But I remember when I interviewed him, it was amazing how Breathe, the title of the book, has everything to do with the discipline. It's breath control. It is not, uh, we think of Taekwondo, we think of, you know, karate. Um, you know, you think of hits and kicks and this kind of spectacular gymnastics-oriented or gymnastics-appearing kind of martial art where there's striking and there's actual punching and hitting. Jiu-jitsu seemed so much more intellectual. It seemed like wrestling meets chess where you actually force the other person to submit to your will. <laughs> as brutal as that sounds, there's yeah. an intellectual part of it. There's a breathing part of it. There's something that's just so cathartic about this, what looks like a violent discipline. Tell me a little bit about where jiu-jitsu differs from what we consider as far as mainstream karate or the punching and the kicking. Sure. No, it's great. So, you know, on the physical side of things, um, the way that I always, you know, I explain it, I actually just taught a, a seminar last night with my wife to a Girl Scout troop, seven, eight-year-old girls. And the moms were there and they said, well, what makes this different from karate? I said, okay, that's a great question. I said, when it comes to Taekwondo or karate or boxing, the object is to hit somebody. And in order to win and say a self-defense fight, there's absolutely no, no way around it, right? Science matters. So Newton's second law of motion, you know, force equals mass times acceleration is really what's going to cause, we'll say, a knockout. You know, you have a 115-pound person peppering them maybe with jabs and punches, but it really doesn't do anything. The beauty of jiu-jitsu is that um, because you don't allow your opponent or your partner to generate acceleration using their mass to create a great or high level of force, um, you take that space away um, and you force them, say, to the ground 
where they can't generate all that kinetic energy from their feet to their hips, all the way up to their shoulders into, say, a punch or a kick. You're able to put them on the ground, and then now you can use, really, like you said, right, you can use your mental technique to create leverage points and really ultimately fulcrums to hyperextend a limb, cut off blood flow from the carotid arteries up into the brain, um, and it's, it's as equalizing as it gets. I will tell you 100% from experience, I have lost matches to young 17, 18-year-old kids. I've lost matches to girls. It's because their technique was just better. And there is something spectacular about watching it. Uh, if you can get past kind of the violent layer that MMA is or the UFC is, when you see him get down on the mat, all of a sudden somebody's throwing a leg and then moving that person over from like, say, their knees and their elbows over to their side of their hip. And then you see that arm come out and then the, they've got their arms kind of wrapped serpentine around the <laughs> neck area and they pull that choke back and you can just see that all of a sudden it went from, oh, this guy looks like he's going to get cleaned up to, wait, they just rolled. He moved his opponent completely over, and now the guy that was winning is completely losing because he gave his arm up. And now yeah. his arm is being stretched to the point where it's either tap out or your arm's broken. I yeah, mean, it's, that's exactly right. That's it's exactly really right. phenomenal to watch that chess match happen on the mat. So cool. How far have you gone in jujitsu now? So, man, I, I, like I said, I've been training since 08, um, just between deployments, injuries, family life. Um, you know, I've been on and off um, starting the business. Man, that that took up more more time than I thought. So I'm a purple belt. Um, mm. You know, it's so it goes white, blue, purple, brown, black. Um, so I'm like mid, like I'm mid-level guy. I, I'll tell you, you know, whether you're a purple belt or a brown belt, man, it, you just feel helpless when you when you roll with a really proficient black belt. It doesn't even matter. Those guys are like, and and girls for that matter, they're they're just ten steps ahead of you always. Yeah, I remember seeing a a, a young marine come in and, and he says, uh, "Yeah, I'll, I've done a little bit of what's called McMap Marine Corps Martial Arts Program. I've done a little bit of McMap. You know, uh, I just want to do jujitsu so I can supplement." I said, "Okay, cool." I said, "Hey, whatever you do, like no egos on the mat, man. When you." You know, you try this fundamentals class out, you're going to see some teenagers on there. Don't try to muscle those guys, you know, that, you know, they're 15 years old. Don't try to keep up with them now. Those kids have been here for a couple of years. They're really good, but they're just little. I said, ah, man, I got this. Like, I'll, like literally he goes, I'm a Marine, bro. I said, okay, cool, man. I got you. So I left. I get a text message from the coach. He goes, Hey, uh, the new guy just threw up all over the wall. I was like, what? And he goes, uh, yeah. So that this was like a Wednesday. Um, I come back to the gym Thursday, Friday. I don't see the guy. I come back the next week on Monday. Here comes this Marine. He comes walking in. And I said, hey, man. He goes, hey, yeah, sorry. I think I cleaned all of it up, though. I said, what happened? I said, you tried to keep up with the teenagers, didn't you? He goes, that's exactly what I did. The, those kids are real good, man. The kids were just wiping the floor with his And, um. <laughs> It was such a shock to him that he ended up like when I tell you that jujitsu is this weird, addictive drug. Um, it really is because that dude, I don't think for a year he missed another class. Like He just got bit by the bug and, and absolutely became addicted to it.
Now, you took your addiction to a whole nother level as well, and you created yeah. The Compound, which is a gym in Silver Spring, Maryland. Tell me about that. Like, this started off as just I wanted to train more, so you leased a space, or you you wanted to bring this martial art discipline to more people. How was it you ended up going from just student to now owning The Compound? It happened almost on accident. I was driving, so I, I used to work up north near the Fort Meade area. There was a gym that was close to us. Um, I could go during lunch and then train. But then I would drive all the way home, which was about 40 minutes, to pick up my kids, just to drive another 40 minutes back up north to take my kids to the same gym. It was just a lot. Um, so I, I talked to the owner at the time and of this school, and I said, hey, you know, you ever think about maybe opening up a franchise out near D.C.? And long story short, 11th hour, the deal between he and I didn't work. But I had already signed the lease. So I'm I'm now beholden to this lease. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the terms changed. So I said, all right, here we go. I guess, you know, we're going to do this. So I kind of took like the military aspect of things. I remember seeing a C-17 pilot end up commanding an Air Force cyber squadron. I said, man, if a pilot can learn how to do hacking things, then I could probably, as an intel guy, learn business. So, um we started the compound um, and it, you know, it really was, it wasn't necessarily a passion project. What I always wanted to do, I'd really say since 9-11 on, as corny as it sounds, just wanted to serve. I look back at the career, I say, okay, well, I've, I've done all these deployments years away from my family and I can't go into my community and say, yep, I've served you all because they won't, they won't understand, you know, this is the real, this reality of it. They don't understand all the hostage rescues and they don't understand um, the bin Laden missions or, or hundreds other ones. I said, all right, well, how do I serve my community? I said, okay, well, opening a gym would help serve my community in the sense that I can teach kids how to not get bullied or adults for that matter, how to not get bullied. I mean, I grew up in a real rough area. I mean, it was me, set of Chinese twins and a blonde hair, blue eyed girl. And we were the only non-black kids in damn near the whole school. So I got picked on a lot. And I know how hard that was. And I, I didn't want that for the community. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this compound thing. And the compound ended up being my service to the community. Fortunately, because I kind of got sidetracked with that 11th hour decision, a really good buddy of mine named Pasha, um, who's a two-time Purple Heart recipient, he said, hey, Malik, I, I hear you're about to start a gym. You looking for a business partner? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he said, hey, look, I'd love to be a part of it. I think what you're trying to do, the mission that you're trying to kind of accomplish is is something that I can get down with. So he invested some money and man, we started it. Been a great thing. Financial part aside, I don't really make money off of it. We run it more like a nonprofit. Man, the, the intrinsic reward that we get from it, when I can see a kid, you know, that is literally too scared to look at you in the eye, two or three months later, all of a sudden that kid's competing and winning, you know, second, third place, first place in some tournaments, man, you, you just see that switch turn on them. And it's a beautiful thing. And we see it in adults too. I've had told you Marines and I've had NASA mathematicians come in and man, they, it, it, you just see a huge transition just from whether it's the physical aspect of it, the mental aspect of it, or just like the tribe that you develop um, training with people and trying to kill each other. Um, man, it, it's a beautiful thing to see. And that's kind of like where I wanted to round out the interview is like, it's as violent as Brazilian jiu-jitsu looks. 
it's not just about the lethality of the discipline. It's not just about fighting. One of my favorite quotes, I don't know if I shared this with you before. It's um, we know it is blood is thicker than water, right? Everybody's heard blood is thicker than water. And um, from my understanding, the original intent was the blood of the covenant is thicker than the waters of the womb. And what that was to mean was those that you go to war with, that you bleed with um, through the covenant are often those relationships forged uh, much stronger than even just sharing the same mother. And in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's one of those things where much like the military, you meet some guy or girl, um, you're deployed with them, you're on a ship with them. All of a sudden, that's your battle buddy. You might have known him for four months. Uh, man, you might have known him for just a week. But that person is responsible for your health and your life, um, whether you like it or not. Now you go into a jiu-jitsu gym or an MMA gym, and that person is choking you, and you can't get out of it, and you tap, you submit, you trust them to let go. If you do that to them, if you take their arm, they trust you not to break it, just to apply enough so that both of you can learn and then you could grow together. Um, so that tribe that you develop, man, it's, it's one of the strongest things I've felt outside of the military with regards to just having like that camaraderie, regardless of race, gender, religion, anything. It, it, it none of that matters. What matters is just whether or not you care. And, uh, it's huge. It is yeah. kind of a beautiful thing. And it almost seems ironic that like through fighting, you can find some beautiful connection. But yeah, it's the truth. I see it with my veteran brothers and sisters all over. So I can't wait to come and see the compound, this renovated old warehouse. Uh, the Battle of the Branches is how you guys will celebrate Veterans Day. And uh, talk to me about that. Yeah, so um, we're very fortunate. Um, Pasha is very fortunate to have a, a really great friend, a guy named Scott Davidson, um, who runs um, a, a resource group called Veteran Success Resource Group, resource group uh, VSRG. Um, they do really great events. Really, at the end of the day, all they're trying to do is just provide resources for veterans to just excel out here, you know, in life, out in the civilian world. Scott, another friend of ours, Topaz, you know, they said, hey, look, you know, what do you think? You know, there's a lot of really cool things you could do with the compound. And then we talk a lot of trash to each other um, because they're all Army and I'm the lone Air Force guy. I said, why don't we do um, Battle of the Branches? And they said, whoa, what, what's that? I said, let's have the Army versus the Air Force, Marines versus the Navy, figure out who the toughest branch is so you guys can stop giving me so much crap. The Air Force wins. The Army can't talk anymore. And uh, they said, hey, man, I think that could be something, you know, like, what do you think? You know, what what do you want to do with it? I said, well, you know, we talk about it all the time. We we say that jujitsu and, and martial arts are this cathartic and team bonding thing. Like, why don't we try to tell people about it and show people that even though the army and the air force, and we're literally on the match trying to choke each other or break each other's arms, right? That even despite the most primitive thing that a human being could do, we're going to shake hands afterwards. And we're still going to be the people that watch each other's backs and really will just quite literally die for each other. And it's one of those things that we said, all right, you know, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the camaraderie and let's talk about how it's helped all of us with the PTSD or, you know, even just some of the other challenges that we might have where it's not just us getting medicated. It's something that we can go out and get that dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphin release, and just go work out and have tribe on top of it. Um, we're not broken. We can just, 
we can just do jujitsu together. Um, we can actually do something, learn something, and then also just figure out that the Air Force is much better than the Army and the Navy and the Marine Corps. <laughs> and it wouldn't be a veteran rivalry if there weren't a little dig in there, even in a compliment. I got to, I got to get it. Are there any odds on favorites with this? I mean, because, you know, I know that you've got a lot of, a lot of varied backgrounds within the veterans that are competing. Do you, are, are there guys here that are borderline pro? I'll tell you, Phil, um, there are some pretty big names that are going to be representing their branches. A UFC veteran, uh, Colton Smith who's currently active duty. Um, he's team captain for the Army. And uh, Justin Governale, also an MMA fighter, former Marine scout sniper. He's the Marine Corps team captain. Uh, we've got uh, a Navy guy out in Ashburn, Charles Gomes, who's running the Navy team. And then I've got an Air Force Master Sergeant by the name of Alex Hand, who's honchoing the team Air Force. So uh, we got some really good guys. Those guys have have taken the trust of us to saying, Hey, look, this is going to be a cool event. Um, and saying, all right, yeah, let's, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, man, we've got, we've got a lot of support. It's all really enabled by VSRG. Um, and so we're, we're just really fortunate to be hosting it. Oh, so cool, man. The compound will be alive with some chop busting and those in attendance are going to be proudly exclaiming why their branch is the absolute best, but at its core, so cool to hear that a group of vets are going to get together. I'll, I'll say that I heard through the grapevine that you were actually going to be in the super fight after the army loses to the air force. So we've, we've got, we've got our own special medal for you. If you show up, I might put you against the UFC guy though. So we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) And our common friend, Jake Edwards affectionately nicknamed me tapper because I told him that I, that like, I honestly would probably tap out within seconds because uh, beneath this uh, handsome exterior uh, right here is a little bit of a pacemaker. And uh, I, I'm not sure my arm would bend 30 degrees back without me just squealing and tapping immediately. But it is, uh, it's, it's something amazing to see. And the way Brazilian Jiu Jitsu has really caught fire in the veteran community, I, I, I think is tremendous. And the fact that you put this all together in the compound, uh, there in Silver Spring, Maryland and started what I think is going to be a great annual event, especially on Veterans Day. I think we should reach out to, uh, a great master of ceremonies, Mr. Joe Rogan. He loves jujitsu. He's got some of the greatest vets of our time on his show. I, I think Rogan needs to get involved and learn about this, but for this year's purposes, where is it? When is it? So, uh, it's going to be November 11th. So this Saturday, November 11th at the compound Silver Spring in Silver Spring, Maryland. Weigh-ins start at eight and go to 10 and then we should start grappling at about noon. Where do I get more information on the website about the compound? Look us up on social media, either at um, Facebook slash The Compound Silver Spring or Instagram at The Compound Silver Spring. Or you can find us on the web at TheCompoundSilverSpring.com and uh, just see what we're really trying to do with the community. Pal Srichikorn, Air Force veteran, Task Force Intel veteran, been involved in some of the greatest missions in the U.S. military and uh, given back through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at The Compound. I just can't thank you enough for uh, sharing with me some highlights of your career and uh, the love of Jiu-Jitsu, brother. Doing great things, man. Thank you so much, Phil. I really appreciate you reaching out to me as well and giving me the time to, to you know, just tell everybody about what we're trying to do at The Compound. Yeah, man. Again, I'll be tapping out if anybody tries to get me on the mat. I I won't last a second, but love to watch, man. Thanks you so much for your time, brother.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.